Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Happy Wednesday. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're using your ears, you're listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi. We got Will Foxley on today's show and Danny Nelson, Managing Editor for Data and Tokens. Danny, always such a pleasure to see you on The Hash. Good to see you. Good to be here. Will, you got our first story. Danny, you look so great this morning. And technically, (laughs) got to do a fact check already. If you're listening and watching to us, you're still using your ears either way. It doesn't really matter. It's true, Will, but like, come on. You get what I meant. Just some facts there to start off the day. Okay, (laughs) let's turn over to Binance. Binance was also the headline story for yesterday's top of show. Got to talk about them again. This comes from the Financial Times, who published a report saying that Binance hid extensive links to China for several years. According to documentation, the Financial Times says that Chief Executive Xingpeng Zhao, also referred to as CZ, and other seniors at the company, repeatedly told Binance employees to hide the company's Chinese presence. This included hiding a potential office in Shanghai and also the fact that there were some banks being used to pay those employees. Now, of course, I think people on this show might say like, well, you know, that's pretty typical. A lot of crypto companies are hiding their location. So why does this matter that much? I think it really matters because right now there's a CFTC case against Binance. And if Binance has been lying about its positioning in China, well, then what's stopping them from lying about being in the US? The CFTC is saying that Binance has been operating in the US through a few different means and ends. And so I think that this report, Financial Times, sort of speaks to the shadowy nature of Binance. Danny, I'll throw this one over to you, get your take on it. Yeah, you know, there's a saying in journalism, it's not the crime that gets you, it's the cover up. And right now we're seeing once again, Binance falling into the hiding mode. They have some information that for whatever reason, they've decided it'd be better to conceal from the public. And that's the fact that really stands out to me. It's not of what they were doing, but it's the extent to which they tried to keep that reality from just the general understanding of the situation. You know, with, when it comes to Binance in China, time and again, we are seeing how Binance is taking steps to hide its presence, even with its users. There was a report in CNBC a couple of days ago about how Binance employees or angels, as they call them, we're coaching people in China on how to use a VPN to sidestep Binance's block in China. So, you know, at every level, 
forward to seeing a whole lot of interplay between Binance and a China jurisdiction that they say they don't operate in or are from. Yeah, Danny, I thought about that CNBC article as I was reading this one to, I believe the CFTC case is about Binance enabling American users to use VPNs to kind of sidestep some of the AML and KYC processes that they have in place. And I can just see US regulators referencing this Financial Times article, referencing the CNBC article as they try to clamp down on Binance. When I'm reading this though, I think about the transparent nature that our industry is supposed to have. And these people who we've propped up, who have become these like proclaimers of the transparency, and we see them time and time again, you know, sidestepping, not being transparent, kind of implementing these very opaque processes. And I wonder if that is a result of them actually trying to be deceitful or a result of really heavy regulation right? There's this future that we're all building towards who work in this industry. And unfortunately, the regulation and a lot of what the regulators are saying doesn't get us to that place. And I wonder if the information that's coming out about Binance and some other exchanges is actually deceitful or is a result of regulation that doesn't actually work for the industry. Well, yeah, I think you bring up a great point. That's an on-chain nature of crypto is very transparent, right? I can see where this transaction went. I can see where it's probably going to go. You find all the information around it, what time it was sent, how much, probably know the entities involved. I really know how to do things. The business side in crypto is very different, right? We have companies that hop from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. In Binance's case, basically wherever CZ was, was the head of the company. That's where Binance is. That's how they disclose it in the CFTC documentation. And that's for practical reasons. A lot of these companies are being slapped down on. There's a lot of regulators who don't want to see crypto come into blossom. There's a lot of firms out there that are competitors, right? The entire banking industry is a competitor to crypto. So there's going to be pushback. And I think that's why you see so many companies time and time again, they talk about the transparency, but in actuality, they can't be transparent because their business would probably die and crumble if they were transparent. It's very easy to squash down on something if you know where it is. If you're hopping around all over the place, pretty hard to kill it. So I think that's sort of the rationale for it. Daniel, throw it back over to you. I'm just curious as to how Binance really survives these punches. They just keep coming. Like if I'm Binance, I'm systemically important to all of crypto. And I guess that's something that we as an industry need to think more carefully about. Binance is the exchange that processes by far the most traded volume of the entire ecosystem. They are so important. And there's so much that is becoming clear that we don't know about Binance, some of which it seems because Binance is hiding it from us. So. I don't want to allege any wrongdoing here, but I will say as a journalist, we're always looking for transparency and for companies to be straightforward with what they're putting out into the public. And I think it's fair to say that Binance is at the very least not living up to that specifically. Yeah, some of the messages that were published in this article don't look so hot for Binance too. I think if you're trying to not be so transparent, you're trying to hide some things, you don't publish messages like this. One of them said, Please do not confirm any offices anywhere else, including China. It just feels so like counterintuitive if you're trying to hide something that you would publish messages like these on any platform, especially when you work in this industry, Will. Yeah, one thing we can draw back on based on Danny's comments is like Bitcoin is sort of operating in a weird place right now based on what's happening with all the squeezes in the ecosystem. Binance being, of course, one of those squeezes. Right now, Bitcoin is like broke above $20,000 once again. We're seeing a lot of price volatility. 
And the reason for that is because there's not a lot of liquidity out there in the markets. There's a nice research piece from Kaiko. It's actually published on Coindesk. Go check it out in the op-ed section. Talking about how there hasn't been a lot of places to trade crypto right now. And then there's a lot of market makers who are leaving the space or finding different things to trade. And that's leading to price volatility. We're seeing that in the price of Bitcoin right now. And for Binance, which has such a central place in the ecosystem, the more it gets squeezed and the more it has to change its business practices, I think the more we see price volatility with Bitcoin. So a little bit of a market angle there. Remember when every brand and every government and it seemed like everyone, including your mother, was getting into NFTs? Well, a few people are reneging on that message. And one of those is the UK government. So they're dropping their NFT project over lack of demand. You'll remember that last year, the Royal Mint was asked to create an NFT. But on Monday, the government announced that it will no longer be happening. Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt said, I think we always want to be at the cutting edge in the UK, adding the world has changed significantly since then. Will, tossing this one off to you first. The government is saying there's now a lack of demand for government-issued NFT. I wonder if there was ever a demand, but I'm (laughs) curious to hear your thoughts. Wow, you don't like those government collectibles? I mean, those are like a thing. You can buy like gold coins with like, you know, different governments embossed on them. I don't know. That's how I kind of thought about this. But Jen, I think you're going to have to find a new shtick because the NFT market is not doing so hot right now. Volumes are down all over the place. I will die with the shtick. I'm going down with it. We talked about the metaverse. Disney's getting rid of it. Gave the old boot yesterday. And it seems like the NFT is the same thing. Like, at the very least, like these bigger conglomerates, whether that be nation states or large entities like Disney, they don't really have a place or a use case for these Web3 products right now. And so they're not going to do it. And that's you know what kind of happened last cycle, 2017, 2018, where a lot of people got into it. You had the blockchain, Long Island iced tea companies, 2017, 2018. And now we have the UK government not choosing to move forward with NFT men. So I think it's just history repeating itself in this situation. That being said, the whole NFT market is not doing so hot. Similar drawdowns to tokens, like 90% plus. Danny, over to you. You know, life comes at you fast. And if you don't look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. No place in crypto is that more true than NFTs. I don't see how a government ever could have found success with an NFT drop. NFT drops happen at moments in time when the hype is peaking. Governments don't act quickly. When a government wants to do something, the government declares that it wants to do something, then creates a study to do the thing, then spends a lot of money on on thinking about doing the thing. And then 10 months later, you have the first step forward. By that point, NFTs are irrelevant. So the UK government should never have embarked down this path simply because it's just not able to move fast enough as a government to catch the hype. Like there is no demand. There certainly was demand back then, but there is none now because the government waited too long. So at this point, it's like fashion, right? Uh, skinny jeans are out, baggy jeans are in. In a couple of years, skinny jeans will be back in. If I was them, I would build this NFT now, leave it on the side, and then wait till the skinny jeans come back in. And then they can rug the public or whatever it is that they're going to do with this stupid NFT. (laughs) (laughs) Danny, I am completely with you. And so they haven't canceled the project completely. They said that they're going to put it on the sidelines. Will, just like you, I thought about the Disney story yesterday. I thought about last year when I believe there were some governments even saying they were entering the metaverse and they were going to be building out, you know, jurisdictions in the metaverse that I don't know how that was going to work. And so it's just interesting to see all these projects kind of wind down and die. I still believe that there is a use case for NFTs with utility that is going to reign above all. 
And so I'm just here. I will always bring an NFT story to the table so that we can keep this alive. I can give you two utilities off the top of my head. One, the founding team rug pulling the community. And two, the fact that we get to talk about (laughs) NFTs dying on the show. That is a utility (laughs) in and of itself. Like this whole story is interesting, right? Like UK government moving into this and this sort of headlines what the other stuff are doing or points towards it, I should say. Like they're really moving towards the CBDC in the UK. They have like this Bitcoin thing, a nice little pun on Bitcoin. Bitcoin, we love that. They're trying to like move into that sphere. Their new prime minister is very much so progressive with the crypto question. So I think like the NFT thing may be a little bit distraction, but the larger story here is the UK is moving forward with this in some sort of way. They're going to move forward with CBDCs. They're not going to just let like this crypto texting and go buy it. They're not just going to see like, oh, it went up and down. Now we're out of the cycle completely. We're not interested anymore. They do seem to have some ambitions. This NFT thing was just you know, a little side quest. So there we go. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Welcome back to The Hash. We are back with everybody's favorite nation state crypto hackers. That's right. North Korea is in the chat and waiting to steal your keys. A report came out recently that highlights the role that APT43, one of those North Korean-backed state-affiliated hacker groups, is having in the crypto space. Apparently, APT43 is funding its own operations and its own money laundering services with stolen crypto, basically taking the cryptocurrency stolen exchanges, wallets and such, and using that crypto to buy cloud mining services, basically creating more cryptocurrency with stolen cryptocurrency. So this is said to be a moderately sophisticated operation. And it's hardly the only time we've seen North Korean actors take a stake in the crypto industry. Will, I'll start out with you. How do we stay safe against North Korea? I don't know. I don't know. First, I want to give a call out to that photo in the article there. I think it's just like a slightly dim photo of an Apple employee bending over a computer at one of their stations, which is kind of hilarious. Second call out disclosure, I do work at a mining company, which is a competitor to cloud mining, which is mentioned in the story. So a little note there. For the story itself, the cloud mining thing here, the scheme is pretty simple. So it's basically North Korea steals some coins from you. Maybe you left your MetaMask open somehow and they have like a little phishing link. They take your crypto, they put it in their wallet. Then it's like, okay, what am I going to do with that? How do I offboard? A lot of these wallets from North Korean hackers are well known. And a lot of people have blocked them from being able to offboard into cash. So you go to the next best thing and you swap that crypto for different crypto. Typically, that's pretty easy to trace. So we do see in history like these long tails of people just like swapping crypto for other crypto, like these hackers going back and forth, and we can kind of track them. But what if you give it to a service to pay for mining new coins and then take those coins and you have basically fresh coins? And the mining service that gave you that has to deal with the bad coins. That's essentially the story here. And to me, I'm actually sort of surprised that these mining companies haven't blocked the crypto from these North Korean hackers. Because most of the time, these things are well-known. Chainalysis or any of these other blockchain sleuths, as we like to call them, typically, they know where these things are. And they have a service where you're able to block list anybody 
who is identified as being a North Korean hacker or from a rogue regime. So I'm a little surprised to see that some of these mining companies have not done that yet. Daniel, throw it back to you. Just a question there for you. Yeah, well, I think it's really a game of whack-a-mole, right? Like, it's so easy just to set up a new wallet. You can block the old ones, and then those wallets won't be able to interact. And indeed, those wallets can then send their money elsewhere to wallets that can. But for every wallet that gets knocked off the grid, the North Koreans can just create a new one. So it's always a game of catch-up with these attackers. You can never proactively block the wallets that haven't come for you yet because you don't know where they are. So this is just another example of the evolving threat that North Korean hackers pose to the industry. We've seen them go after bridges, exchanges. I've also heard stories of North Koreans posing, trying to get jobs in companies, basically trying to ace interviews with English that might be a little too perfect, which helps tip off the companies. One company told me they actually got ahead of a North Korean applicant because the English was just too good. And then they dug into the background and found out everything was fake. So you got to stay vigilant out there because the North Koreans are really creative because they know how easy it is to steal this crypto and then turn it into money that, according to the UN, North Korea is using to fund its weapons programs. Its nuclear ambitions are being funded in part by cryptocurrency. Talk about blockchain utility. What a wild ride in this industry. We have like fake job interviews, North Korean hackers who speak too good of English. Like HR departments now need to become investigators that are getting tied up in North Korean hackers. It is absolutely insane. As I was reading the story, I was just thinking, wow, we are going to hear these exact same quotes read out in the next congressional hearing about crypto. The one, Danny, that you started to mention in your intro was the group is moderately sophisticated and it supports the strategic and nuclear objectives of the North Korean regime. It uses the proceeds from cybercrime to fund its operations, which target South Korean and U.S. government organizations. It goes on and on and on and on. I can just see our members of, well, actually yours, I'm in Canada, of Congress citing this when the next time they're talking about why crypto needs to be banned outright. And my last thought on this is the fact that they gather information for these major, major hacks through phishing attacks that can target absolutely anyone. And I don't think we can say it on this show enough that especially if you work for a crypto company, always check the websites you're on, check the URL, make sure you're not clicking on links, you're not downloading any documents. So many of these hacks happen because someone has downloaded a document from an email or LinkedIn. And so just be super, 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 super vigilant. And if you're not sure, just ask someone, ask someone in your IT or security department, you know? A U.S. court in California has ruled in favor of plaintiffs who allege the BZX protocol and governance token holding members of its DAO were negligent and liable for losses resulting from a hack. The BZX, I went a little Canadian on you there, DAO, is known today as DAO. So this is a really interesting case. Danny, I'm going to toss it off to you first. What do you make of this case? Essentially, what the court found was that token holders of a DAO can be seen as the equivalent almost to like an equity holding person in a company and can be held liable. Yeah, well, this starts to answer one of the big questions that we have about liability and token holders in DAOs. If you're a token holder in a DAO and you participate in governance, well, you're making decisions that guide how that DAO and how the protocol that it governs operates. And if things go wrong, as they often do, the question then becomes, well, where does liability fall? 
does it fall back on the people, the token holders that made the decisions? Maybe so. In this case, that appears to be sort of what the court is getting at. And that could be troubling for token holders more broadly who participate in DAOs because they'll need to start to think, well, if I'm going to participate in the governance here, am I actually going to end up having to shoulder the burden of responsibility if things go wrong? And to be honest, I think that that's a thought that people should be having. They shouldn't just jump into governance purely because they want to capture the economic upside and not stop and think about what role they're playing. Governance is hard and decisions are hard. And at the very least, everyone should be mindful about those facts because the legal landscape for DAOs continues to change by the day. And you don't want to end up on the wrong side of the law. Well, have you ever been sued for being a DAO? No, no, but I suppose I could one day if I decide to launch the it's something to something to, to be inspired to accomplish. Anything's possible. <laughs> Anything is possible, including the hashtag being sued one day for giving bad advice online, which I think you're all liable for. Just looking at this case <laughs> itself, BZX and now UkiDAO, it's had a tough history. Like this is one of the first DeFi projects to get just destroyed, like totally wrecked by a flash loan back in 2020. And then they had a few other hacking incidents, including one in the summer of 2022, that led to a bunch of disgruntled users of this project. And then they moved against the DAO, right? And what is a DAO? Well, kind of depends on how you structure it in the first place. I would argue that most DAOs are not DAOs at all. They're just basically multi-sigs with a Discord. And then there's some sort of token floating around that some people have larger allocations than others do might be a better structure in the future where we're really, really online and not just like pretty much online where people are just like completely consumed by the internet and want to do everything through the internet instead of traditional corporations. But for now, we're in the mushy middle and they're going to see some liability issues with DAOs. Jen, I want to throw this one over to you and get more of your take on the liability side of thing. Since you work at a DAO and you are a legal expert, <laughs> Asterix. I'm not actually a legal expert. It's like a little joke for anyone who's coming onto the show and finds what I have to say to be mm. um, not insightful. So <laughs> this is my thing on this. We, I think we saw Sushi Dow recently launch a legal fund for token holders. MakerDAO, I believe, has done the same thing. And I've said this on the show before. I think that this is going to be part of regular Dow operations and something that people who contribute to Dows should consider when joining a DAO. The DAOs I contribute to don't have legal funds. But I think we also need to understand that DAOs are in like different stages of decentralization, right? And I wonder if courts are going to start to take into consideration, how does the DAO actually operate? A lot of DAOs operate like normal companies, and they just say they are a DAO. The things that the people in the DAO are voting on are really kind of non-consequential to the business operations. And so I think that as we move forward, courts are going to have to look at these DAOs and look at, are they actually decentralized? Are there actually a handful of people making decisions? And are those people liable? And if we're going to hold all token holders liable, what decisions are they actually making? Because I think if you go into a lot of these discords, you're going to find that the decisions that they're making are pretty you know, low-level decisions that don't really have anything to do with the DAO's progression. And so I guess my two takeaways on that is I think we're going to see more legal funds. And I think that the courts are going to start getting more creative in how they are evaluating if a DAO is in fact a DAO or if it's a hierarchical company. One final thing to think about on that front is who's actually voting before these proposals. If you look at the wallets that voted in a 30 wallet vote, 
And you see that 80% of the tokens voted came from two wallets, and both of them have the ENS names of people who work at the company. And this is something that I have seen before. It might not be decentralized. And if it's not decentralized, mm-hmm. then it's probably the company. And if it's probably the company, well, then the company could end up shouldering that liability, perhaps rightfully so. So you got to be on the watch out here for DAOs that really aren't DAOs, which is to say most of them. Be careful out there. A lot of bad DAOs out there. Okay, we're wrapping up. That is Danny Nelson and Jen Snassi and Will Foxley. Thanks for watching The Hash. Check us out tonight, Women Who Web 3. Come on to our Twitter spaces, 5 p.m. Eastern. Got a great lineup. Check us out on The Hash, uh, the podcast version. If you don't like watching us, you can always listen to us anywhere. There is a podcast, Coindesk Podcast Network. Later today, all about Bitcoin at 3 p.m. Come learn about Bitcoin at George Kaloudis. See you guys later. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.